Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you once again for, for your word, for the promises that it brings. And Lord, I pray uh, today that uh, your spirit would guide and lead us to once again understand a little bit more of what it means to be, uh, to be courageous, to be brave, uh, not out of our own strength, but by, by your spirit and the strength that you give us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our series uh, called Speaking of Jesus, and in this in this series for our fall campaign, uh, we're talking about what it means to have spiritual conversations. And so we've gotten to this point of where we're talking about uh, being brave. And if you were to go to Webster's Dictionary, uh, you would see that uh, this is the definition of being brave. You can help me out here with the slides. There we go. Um, To be brave is having or showing mental or moral strength to face danger, fear, or difficulty. Another way of saying being brave is to have or show courage in the midst of fear, danger, or difficulty. Uh, That's what it means to be brave. And when I think of this definition, it reminds me of the last time that I was at a movie theater and I saw this movie, Avengers Endgame. Did anybody see this movie by chance? All right, so um, it's really long, um, but uh, three-hour movie, and I decided uh, to take Malachi with me to the movies, which was beautiful. I hope someday we'll be able to do that again, all right? And, And we were sitting at... One of the movie theaters over in Melrose Park had the big recliner chairs, and and we're just excited to see the end of this whole series of of the Avengers and what's going to happen to Thanos and all this sorts of stuff. And uh, as we're sitting there waiting for the movie, there's this guy that walks in, and he is by himself. He is rocking like a Captain America shirt. And he has like the souvenir cup that has the little plastic figures on top, right? The big old tub of popcorn, big burly guy. And he comes and he walks into our row. And, uh, and as he sits down, he leaves a space in between because that would be weird if he sat right next to me, right? But, but we had a space between. And as the movie got going, this guy was totally into it. Like he was just like chanting on all the Avengers and all the things. And, and frankly, like, like it's true for us. Like we love these movies. And this movie is the highest grossing movie of all time. $2.7 billion it made. And, and this guy is cheering it on. He's fired up. And at the very end of the movie, I think a lot of you have seen it. I don't want to ruin it for you by any means. But, but there's a part where it gets kind of emotional. And all of a sudden, I notice this guy who's in his mid-30s, about my age, he is weeping. <laughs> He's crying. And Malachi and I are just trying to watch the movie, and I'm like, man, this is like three hours long. We've been here a long time. And he taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, Dad, Dad, what, what's wrong with that guy? I had to be very careful with my words here. So I look at him and I said, Malachi, I, I think this guy knows something that you and I need to know. 
he knows something more of what's really happening and what's going on in this moment. It's really beautiful for him. It leads him into this place of where it's gripping him emotionally. And, and, and when I read uh, about Peter and the disciples, and, and in particular in this passage that we're reading in Acts chapter 5, I would challenge you today or sometime this week to to look up Acts 3 through 5, and you're going to see these followers of Jesus who have this boldness and courage that is really inspiring, that moves them. I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. Uh, so, So in Acts chapter 3, we start to read of Peter after Jesus had risen from the dead the, the, the story of Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit is working. And, and Peter and John, they are going to Jerusalem. And they continually go to this place called Solomon's Porch. And in that place, it's a place where, where the rabbi leaders would talk about the law. They would talk about God. And, and Peter and John are so bold, they go and they stand up and they're like, hey, I got something to say about this. And of course, the religious leaders aren't happy about it. So they, so they kick them out. And then we read in Acts chapter 4 that they actually go back to Solomon's porch. And while they're there speaking about Jesus, the religious leaders say, hey, we told you not to be here. And they throw them into prison. And then what happens during that night is they're released from prison and And the Holy Spirit essentially tells them to go back to Solomon's porch again. They wake up the next day and they're like, where's Peter, John, and all the disciples? And somebody comes and reports and says, hey, they're actually back in Solomon's porch speaking about Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 5, which we read from, we get these words. It says this, that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching about Jesus. You see their courage. God continually calls them to go back to this very place where it wasn't easy to be. Where we require in the face of difficulty and fear to speak about Jesus. Now, now here's the reality. I... I fully understand that like, we won't face the kind of persecution that they faced. I mean, they are facing like, life or death in these moments. And in fact, many of the early disciples of Jesus were killed for their faith. And in our world, in our American culture, that is something that we probably will not experience. Not at the level of that kind of persecution. But there is no doubt that if we have spiritual conversations, and speaking about Jesus, that comes with some risk. That comes with some challenge. That will come with with maybe, how is this friendship going to work? Because you believe in Jesus, and I don't think that that's all that cool. Or that might not even like help you in your business career in all kinds of things. So the question for me becomes something similar that that I was looking at my son and like saying to this old guy, like, what does he see? What, what, what is he witnessing that I need to get? I want to ask that question of what these disciples knew. What did they know that I ultimately need to know? 
Now, I want to be very clear. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who guides and leads us and it gives us power. All right? Like, I'm not saying that the Spirit isn't that powerful. No, I'm saying the Spirit is really a powerful agent that God uses in our lives. But there's also some knowledge that, that these disciples understood that guides and leads them into what they're doing. Two things I want to point out in the text here, here for what do we need to know that they knew to be brave or courageous. The first one is this. They understood that their identity must be in God. Who they were was found in, in God. Their identity, their core of who they were was that they believed in God. Notice here in Acts 5, 29, it says this. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. This is a bold statement by Peter. He's talking to these religious leaders and they're like, hey, you're not following the rules that we want you to follow. And, and Peter says, well, we must obey God rather, rather than you. You talk about a bold statement here. And what he's really saying is that my identity is not found in the approval of other people. And what's so dangerous or part of the brokenness in our world that we struggle with is that we look horizontally for what we are designed to find vertically. Say this again. Part of our problem and the brokenness of our world is what we are looking, we look horizontally for what we're designed to find vertically. And, and the challenge that we have with this is wherever we place our identity, we'll exercise some rulership over your heart, and in so doing, will direct the way that we live. Let me get this to be very practical here. I want to be clear on this. Um, your job is a wonderful provision from God. There's a wonderful provision from God. But if your job becomes your identity and rules your life, it will leave us incredibly unhappy and create more brokenness in the relationships that we have. It, your spouse, the one that you love, your best friend, it is a significant human relationship, but if it becomes your identity, you are placing a burden on that person that they cannot carry because they can't be your Messiah. Or how about this one? Your political nominee can bring some change into this world, however you're going to vote. But if it becomes your identity and your only source of hope, I'm promising you that they'll flip in four years. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go vote. Don't hear me on this. Go vote, all right? Please, go do your duty and go and vote. But be careful to guard your heart that that does not become our identity and who we are. Because there's this temptation to look for our identity horizontally, and it never delivers. So to have God as our identity requires courage. It shows mental and moral strength in the face of danger. Now, I also recognize, though, when you read this verse, you might be saying, well, we must obey God rather than men. Does that mean that I just get to do whatever I want or do what pleases God, and I get to upset everybody else around me? No. Don't be a jerk for Jesus, all right? Because if you understand who you are and how God sees you, 
He calls you two greatest commandments, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And by the way, Jesus then says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you want a lens for what it means to obey God rather than men, let's just stay with those two things. And those need to be the filter of how we look at the world. Loving God and loving our neighbor. Because that's what our identity is. There's this great quote by C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite. I feel like I say that every week, but this one is at the top, all right? It's simply this. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. This is such a beautiful quote because what C.S. Lewis is talking about here is he's saying this, is that courage is not an independent virtue, but essentially it's in all of the virtues, Virtue being love, uh, compassion, justice, kindness. And what Lewis is saying is that oftentimes we as people, we put courage as one of the virtues. He's saying it's not one of the virtues, but it is found in all of the virtues. That for it to be at its highest point of reality, for that virtue, for love to be found, there has to be courage. For true kindness to be found, there must be courage. For for justice and kindness, there has to be courage that is found in the face of danger for the one who is giving it or even maybe the one who receives it. And so what Lewis is essentially saying here is that to have love with no courage really is not love. To have kindness without courage really isn't kindness. It's a weakened version of what it truly, ultimately is. Which leads to the second thing that the disciples knew early on about our God. Is that that he goes to great lengths for us. He goes to great lengths for us to, to give us our identity. This passage in Acts 5.32, it says this, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I love this statement by Peter here. As he's on trial with these religious leaders, he's saying that, that we are witnesses to the things that God has done. We are a witness to the goodness, the courage of our God. It got me thinking, um, what makes a, a 35-year-old man show up at a movie theater by himself and weep like a baby? Like, what, what, what puts you into that kind of mindset? I think it's kind of interesting because um, the superheroes that we love inside of our culture, they, like, they captivate our hearts. I mean, there's a reason that that over $2 billion have been spent to go and see these movies. I mean, we get, we get captivated by these, these heroes that are make-believe, by the way. I hope I didn't ruin anybody's day. But, but they're made for movies that we just go and we talk about and we dress up on on Halloween. We love these people because what they do is they show courage in the face of danger. They show courage when half of the population could be gone at the snap of a finger. In the face of danger, they go to great lengths. And we love these stories. 
And I want to make an argument that, that I think that Jesus is like the superheroes that we see in the movies and also unlike the superheroes that we see in the movies. So run with me here for a little bit. Uh, Jesus is like the superheroes that we see in the movies in the sense that he shows great courage in the face of danger. This morning when we were praying, um, as we do every single Sunday, there was a beautiful prayer that was said that in the face of when Jesus realized that he would have to go to the cross, that he was scared and he wept. He was so nervous about what God had called him to do. He said, not my will be done, but your will be done. That in the moment of, of great fear, he cries out to God with courage. That our God, Jesus, he shows compassion to, to so many people that we often overlook. That he holds to what God has called him to do. In the, the midst of great danger and fear, he leans in and he continues to move forward. See, when I think of Jesus, he sounds a lot like the superheroes that we see in the movies. Yet, yet there's something that is very different about Jesus that is unlike the heroes that we go and spend money and dress up as. It's this. Um, Peter Parker, anybody know who, who the superhero is? All right, well, who's the superhero? Spider-Man, Spider right? Um, and he is an ordinary kid from New York, I think the Bronx or something like that. He gets bit by a radioactive spider and now he can climb on walls. He's somebody that had no power but receives power. Captain America, anybody know who his, his real name is? All right, we have some nerds here, all right. <laughs> Steve Rogers, yeah, yeah, normal, Normal, like scrawny little guy and the, the government makes this experiment and then all of a sudden he doesn't age. He, he had no power, but then gains power. Here's where Jesus is unlike the superheroes that we go and see in the movies. Our God, Jesus, had all of the power. What we believe is from the very beginning, he was there at creation and yet, he takes on flesh. He takes on humanity. He ultimately goes to death. The God, think about this. The God who created everything ultimately goes and is crucified. You know, you say, why, why would he do this? Why, why would he take this on? It's a great question. Look here at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is a phenomenal passage. I love this. It says this, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What this is ultimately saying is that when we look to Jesus, the one who perfected our faith, the founder of our faith, why did he come into this world? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I mean, think about this for a second. God is in heaven. He creates all things, and he sees brokenness in our world in Genesis chapter 3, and he's not like, well, shucks, we tried really good on that one. Let's go somewhere else. No, instead, he says, I'm going to enter into that brokenness. We, we call this beautifully the great reversal. That a God who had all power 
came into this world. Why would he do it? For joy. What was the joy that he had? Because he wanted to see you and me with him. The joy that our God has, the reason that he is the author and perfecter of our faith is because he came into this world for you and me so that we would be with him. See, the disciples understood that their identity was found in God and they also knew that God goes to great lengths for us. And so as we speak of Jesus, may we lean into the words that he said, or that Peter said in Acts chapter 5, that we are witnesses of this very truth, the great length that God has gone for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who displays incredible courage that in the face of danger and brokenness, you just leave it there, but instead you came into this world to bring life and to bring us back to you. It's an incredible, an incredible truth that we cling to, Lord, and something that we that we need to hear now. And so, God, I pray that as as we go into the places and spaces that you've called us to be, may we be reminded of our identity, but be reminded of, of that incredible truth. What you've done, the joy that was set before you to endure the cross for us. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.